Hey, podcast family. Did you know that on May 2nd and 3rd, 2024, our 3D Growth Summit is happening in Nashville, Tennessee? But in-person tickets are already sold out with nearly 400 attendees. But you don't have to miss out. You can get exclusive access to our live stream and post-event recordings for just $395. Yes, you heard that right. For a single fee, you and your entire dental team can learn from our industry leaders with online recordings available after the event. So secure your spot now before it's too late by visiting www.3d-dentist.com slash 3D Summit or give us a call at 855-332-2285 and get your tickets for the live stream and event recording today. Now, let's get to this week's episode. Welcome to T-Bone Speaks with Dr. Tarun Agarwal, where our goal is to change the way you practice dentistry by helping you achieve clinical, financial, and personal balance. Now, here's your host, T-Bone. All right, everybody, and I'd like to welcome you back to a new year and a new episode of the T-Bone Speaks podcast. And uh, today, I am super excited to have uh, friend and guest on the program. Uh, Mina graduated 2009 from Case Western Dental School. I'm really actually convinced he didn't get a real degree. I think he used some kind of backdoor program to get a internet certificate. But Dr. Mina Barsoom is a practicing dentist in the Chicago metro area and a CEREC trainer and uh, all around good guy. He does have a receding hairline, but you know that that's pretty normal. So uh, <laughs> Mina, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, T-Bone. Thanks for having me. What are you doing at your practice this late? Well, I'm here for you today. So this is, you know, dedicated some time for, for T-Bone. Wouldn't miss it. Yeah, well, you know, I, I do demand it. So that's right. <laughs> so listen, I have a quick question for you. So I didn't, I haven't worked in like three weeks almost. We took two weeks off for the Christmas holidays and then we came back and then we, we missed a couple of days due to snow and ice. So we legitimately got an inch and a half of snow slash ice on Saturday. And the whole city's probably shut down. The school got let out early Friday to get prepared for the snow and ice that was coming Saturday morning. Okay. And then we're out of school today and they've already canceled school for tomorrow, Tuesday. And our practice for the most part follows the school system. So our yeah. practice is starting at noon tomorrow with the expectation that three quarters of our patients won't, won't come in and will cancel. So how, how would that work in Chicago? Well, I think we got an inch of snow just in the time that we started talking here. So, you know, that's pretty standard. I think the only time we, we shut down schools is if we get uh, measured in feet. So if it's more than more than 12 inches, they might shut school down. But otherwise, it's pretty standard here. Wow. So in other words, you guys wouldn't have missed any work for this? No, no. For ice, the ice is basically 24-7 from December to March. So that's that's never a problem. So in case anybody hears any background uh, lightsabering, that would be my son, Ubby. He's practicing his Jedi moves in the back. I, you know, it's interesting. I used to record some of these at the office so I could have quiet and do it. But then, uh, I got in trouble with my family. And so now I have to at least be at home to do it. So I'm pretty sure in six months they'll say, I just can't do these anymore. So, all right. Well, Mina, let's kind of get started. And, and I know that, uh, I have quite a few things I want to talk to you about. And, uh, really what I, where I want to start is, uh, is, is a little bit about you. I mean, who is Mina Barsoom? And, uh, tell me 
how you got into dentistry and how you got started. And, and let's keep that a little brief, but uh, tell us some interesting things about yourself. So I was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, so I, I spent my, my whole life there. My parents are uh, Egyptian, so they came when they were younger and uh, moved to Cleveland, and that's where we settled in and, and, and grew up. I went to school at Case Western. I did my undergrad there. Um, I was originally in a uh, six-year med school program at Case, and then I decided to switch gears and go into dentistry. What made um, you get smart? Yeah. So, our, <laughs> you know, our community had a lot of physicians in it. and You're saying you know, the Egyptian just, community? Yeah, the Egyptian community. Okay. So I think it took like the 40th physician to tell me do something else where it finally clicked. And, you know, a good family friend was a dentist as we were growing up. So I spent a summer shadowing him and, you know, it was kind of appealing to me. I mean, being, you know, kind of business minded and, you know, in, in what I like to do, it just seemed like the, the better option for me. So I'm, I'm really glad. I, I don't think looking back now that I would be happy as a physician working in a hospital for someone else. So so when you say you switched, did you switch during medical school or during your undergrad program? Part no, of so, so right after I finished the undergrad portion, before med school started, I switched. So okay, so I, you didn't lose any time. I didn't lose any time. I, I was two years in. I took a year off just to okay. kind of you know, do something different. Then I got a master's degree while I was applying to dental school. What did you, um, you get your master's in? Anatomy. Like what kind of anatomy? Just anatomy. <laughs> there's such a thing? There is, yeah. Case Western, there's a, uh, yeah. Don't ask me what I retained from it. I mean, what, what good is that? What good is that degree? The good part of it was I basically got to skip through the first year of dental school because I was a TA for all the um, anatomy classes, histology, physiology, all that stuff that we took in dental school. I was a TA for, so I got to kind of skip through it. Okay. I mean, I'll yeah. go with it. Why not? I'll go with it. It's, so, it's the route I took. It was either that or do nothing. And, you know, being brown, my parents aren't okay with me doing nothing, waiting for school. So I had to do something. Well, what are your hobbies? I'm a tech nerd. I mean, I, I like computers. I like technology. I like just playing with gadgets and, you know. So you go home and build computers? Not build computers, but like, for example, my house is completely wired and I can control every aspect of it from my phone. And I took great pride in doing that. So, you know, my wife hates it because she can't do anything easily, but it's for me like something I enjoy doing. So, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a computer geek at heart. I like cars. I like computers. Those are my cars. Yeah. Like, what do you mean by cars? Cars are the things that you drive in. They get you from, I'm from India. We use bicycles. You use bicycles. Yeah. Rickshaw. Like you're like old cars. Yeah, old cars and okay. just kind of, uh, you know, I don't have the space living in the city of Chicago to have the collection I want, but at some point I will. Um, but I just kind of like knowing. Uh, you can't just buy extra parking spots for $600 yeah. a month. And just leave leave a classic car on the street. That'd yeah, totally exactly. Snow. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, eventually I have, a you know, a series of different muscle cars I'd like to own at some point. I just need the space for it. Maybe if I. Did somebody tell you you were brown, right? I mean, muscle cars are, are an American invention. Exactly. Yeah. That Why not? Makes, they, they don't make they don't make muscle cars in Egypt. So for me, it's it's. it's did it's you live at all in Egypt? I never been actually. You actually never been to Egypt. Egypt. Never been. So you don't walk like an Egyptian. It's in your genes. So sometimes, like when I'm going back to my infancy, I can I can do it. But you know, I, I have to fight the urge. And when you say you grew up in Cleveland, did you like grow up in Cleveland or like outside of Cleveland? In the hood, yeah. I mean, I fought my way through. You know, we had gangs and everything nearby. What did, you, what did your parents do? They own a convenience store. They did actually, yeah. How many do they have now? No, they don't. They don't anymore. But yeah, that's that's what we did growing up. Just so like it, your parents had a hotel. I mean, no, no, we did not have a hotel. We had a cockroach motel. 
A motel, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, listen, that, that's like me saying you had like an Amico or BP station, which I know you yeah. didn't. You guys had like Starbright uh, gas or something like that, you know? Hey, it worked. It got me. No, school. listen, I, and, and I make fun of it only because I've been in that realm and I understand it. It's amazing to me that culturally, when you come from a certain area, I can almost predict stereotypically and almost racistly, you can predict what somebody did. Like if, if you were Pakistani, for example, I would say you owned a Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, I drove a cab. You know, and uh, it's amazing. Like Indians own motels and convenience stores. So it, it's uh, quite interesting. It's hard when you emigrate from another country. I mean, my parents are both engineers, highly educated, and then you, you come here and you can't really use your education. No, you can't. I mean, we're not, build, we're not building pyramids and stuff here. No, you can't build them. You can't build them like we can. No way. God, I am so racist for God's sake. It's okay. We can be racist with each other. Yeah, it's it's, so it's I, amazing I what we get away with. All right. So yeah. basically you have no real hobbies is what what I took from okay, that. Fair enough. What do, I mean, do you have hobbies besides, you know, giving me a hard time on Skype? No, no. I mean, my, my hobby, I like to play golf. Okay. I used to like playing tennis before I gained 20 pounds, 30 <laughs> pounds, 40. Okay. So, so I like doing those things. I like reading. Uh, so th- those are kind of, and obviously the, you know, the, the family and stuff like that, but th- that's not a hobby for me. You know, hobby would be getting away from all of that. Exactly. So, so I like golf and things like that. But yeah, so I, I don't like, I'm not going to go, go hang out in muscle cars. You know, I, I like to drive around in luxury, not a rough ride. Well, you know, to each their own. Yeah, exactly. All right, so so the, enough about you. So there's nothing nothing fancy or special about you there. No. So n- now let's talk about the fun part of you. Let's talk about your practice a little bit. So if I were to ask you to describe your practice, how would you describe it? I am a high tech, high volume PPO practice. Okay. So what does that mean? Backstory of what I did when I came to Chicago, I did a, a one year GPR here um, after I finished dental school. And during that year, I spent time looking for my next phase, whether it was buying an existing practice or starting up from scratch or working for someone. Um, I knew that being an associate long term wasn't wasn't my ideal situation. Um, so I ended up looking for practice to buy or starting up. I couldn't really find the kind of practice I wanted, uh, meaning it didn't have the the look and feel and, and the patient base and the technology that I, I wanted to have in my practice. So I decided to build from scratch in the city. So, well, I'm in the suburbs. I'm I'm about 25 miles outside of the city. But that's still um, a saturated area. It's still saturated. I mean, I, I in a, a 10 mile radius of 100,000 people in my suburb, I have 100 dentists. Um, so it's it's fairly saturated. So I found a space that I liked, and I I didn't really care too much about being in an area that had a lot of dentists in it. You know, in fact, in my plaza where my condo is, I have another dentist two doors down that was here before me. Um, that wasn't necessarily a challenge for me. I, I mean, everybody draws based on their marketing and their uh, practice style. So I didn't really feel like he was going to be competition or anyone was. Um, so I, I built a practice that I wanted. I, I designed it for what I thought would be long-term potential, um, building a space that was big enough to hold me for many years. Um, and then I slowly started growing it with technology. And How long and ago a- was this? This was uh, six years ago. September so 2010. 17, so, 2010. so as we're talking, just kind of give us a, a, a timeline in a sense so that the, okay. the listeners can get an idea of how long it took you to reach where you're at. You know, it, it's so, not like, you know, so yeah. you, in 2010, you started your practice, it sounds like. Right. So okay. I, I graduated in 09. I did a GPR that finished in July of 2010. Okay. September 1st of 2010, I opened the doors. Uh, wow. So you started before your GPR was finished. 
Um, I mean, I started the construction before it was finished. So okay. two months after I finished, I, I opened up. So you never had the pleasure of working for someone? Well, I, I had to. I mean, a startup practice doesn't mean it's going okay. to be busy enough to support me. So while I was here, you know, two to three days a week, I was also working elsewhere two to three days a week. How was that? Week. It was challenging. I mean, you know, I was working in offices that were probably right now I couldn't do it anymore. I mean, these were Medicaid offices. They were you know, offices that, that are just not doing the kind of dentistry that I wanted to do, but it was still important and necessary. Um, and it helped pay the bills, to be honest with you. I mean, there were days where, you know, all I would do is extractions all day on, on teeth that people didn't want to spend money and time restoring. And eventually that just became a, a bit of a drag on me. So, um, but, but you it, knew, it, it but got, you knew there was light at the end of the tunnel. Exactly. Because, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'm in my office and okay. I can do things the way I want. And, you know, the rest of the week I'm, I'm elsewhere. So it was, it was manageable for me to do that. How hard was it to find part-time work while you were building your practice? It wasn't hard. You know, finding part-time work that I enjoyed doing was hard. Um, I actually, at some point, I think a year after I opened, I still wasn't busy enough to be here full-time. I found an office that um, had Sarek and had Conebeam, and it was a nice change. Oh, that's good. Yeah, so was that, that was relatively nice. close to you? It was in the city, so it was close to where I lived. Um, okay. I, I live but that's not competition in a sense. I mean, quote unquote competition. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, podcast family. T-Bone here to talk about the 3D Dentist Digital Implant Continuum. Are you ready to start placing dental implants but feeling a bit hesitant and or overwhelmed? I know that feeling. I've been there. Let's change that together. Imagine not just learning about dental implants in a classroom, but actually performing surgeries on real patients right here in North Carolina, guided every step of the way by our expert 3D mentors. This is dental implant learning at its best, using techniques that are safe, predictable, and confidence-boosting. They're exactly what I use in my own practice, so you know they work. Our course goes beyond clinical skills. We prepare you to successfully integrate high-demand implant services into your practice, transforming your career by attracting new patients and elevating your practice. And it doesn't end with the course. Completing our program is just the beginning of a new journey. You'll be a part of a community of confident, skilled dentists with ongoing support to ensure lasting success and growth. After all, this is about mastering a skill that can transform your career just like it did for me. So, are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Visit www.3d-dentist.com, check out our upcoming sessions, and join us to revolutionize your practice. 3D Dentist is truly committed to helping dentists take control of their practice, finances, and future. Now, let's get back to this week's episode. No, no, not at all. No. And even if it was, yeah. I mean, it wouldn't have been a problem. The, the reason yeah. I ask that is uh, one of the bigger challenges I've had in my practice is maintaining and finding and keeping good associates, certainly. And uh, I, I would classify you as, as a potentially good associate, but I would never even consider having you in my practice simply because if you were within 10 or 15 miles of me and I knew that up front, I knew that you would be leaving and or you know, in a way you're competing. I know, I know that there's, there's no real competitiveness to a certain degree, but there is, yeah, uh, you know, I, 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 because I've had other people come to me and say, Hey, I'd love to work for you for a day or two. And I, and I, and I just wholesale dismiss it. Yeah. 
Well, I don't think I would work for you for an hour, but I mean, it's, it's no, nice no, that's, no, I don't think you would last with me for an hour <laughs> or I probably wouldn't last with you more like it. We, we'd end up killing each other. No, pretty honest. much. No, actually you'd be surprised. I'm actually uh pretty reasonable when I'm not in that, that mode like I am right now. So, uh, okay. okay. So, so you're an insurance PPO practice. When you say PPO practice, what does that mean to you? To me, that means the majority of my practice income comes from participating in insurance networks. So the majority of the income comes from insurance or from patients with insurance? From patients with insurance okay. where I participate with their Okay. Plans. So so how many plans do you participate with? I'd have to I, guess. To be with you, 10? I mean, it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, a lot. Any HMOs? No HMOs. Okay. So I all... did have an HMO at one point and then um, it just became difficult to do the kind of dentistry we want to do. So we, we ended up getting rid of it. Okay. Okay. And so just, just to, you know, I, I like to do baselines because our audience is vast and wide. So on mo- on the average PPO, don't give me the best. Don't give me the worst. What sure. do you get paid for a hygiene visit, the cleaning exam and a couple of x-rays? Cleaning exam and some x-rays, probably like $120. Okay. Not bad. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then what, what would you guys get paid for a crown? Lowest I have is um, a little under seven hundred, and the highest is almost eleven hundred. Okay, so let's call average is probably eight hundred ish somewhere in that yeah. ballpark. And what would a two surface resin catch you? Probably like one eighty, one seventy, something like that. Okay, all right. So so a little bit better than our local PPOs, uh, you know, as they should be in, in the city of Chicago. Things are a little bit yeah, more expensive. We, have, we can compete a little bit more, I think. Okay, people. and is that is that pretty common that most people in your area take PPOs? I'd say about 50-50, to be honest with you. I mean, I have, okay. I have it's an older dental community here, so a lot of them are still fee-for-service where, where they're not participating. But I think for me, as a new practice starting up, to not take insurance would be suicide. I but mean, no, but you're not a new practice now. You're Now you're six, seven years in. Right. So um, why do you continue still, to take insurance? Because we thrive on our new patient flow, and still many of our new patients come in because we participate with their yeah. insurance plans. Well, you know, I'm not against insurance. I mean, I have a practice right. unbelievably similar to yours, and I just like asking people, uh, you know, why they continue to take insurance because people look at insurance like, okay, I did it, I do it because I had to do it, but then as soon as I don't have to do it, I don't want to do it, and I don't necessarily think that that's the best or easiest way to go. I look at insurance not as a liability, but it's an asset for me. It, it's a way to get patients in the door, and then we it's know a method how to of payment. Maximize. Right, we 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 can maximize their benefits for them, and it's not like I don't have a lot of crown of the year club patients who get one per year in weight. I mean, we're we're able to educate them on value of treatment, and we do a lot of you know high end complicated dentistry. We do a lot of implants, a lot of anterior work, and. Much of that is not covered by insurance, but okay. we educate them on on the benefits and value, and we use their insurance for the easy stuff like cleanings and a crown here and there, a root canal here and there, and then the rest of it is is on them, and and it, it works for us. Yeah. So the analogy I want to use, and I and I want to use this very safely because it can be it can be taken the wrong way. So you view insurance very much like I do. I look at insurance as a way to get people in my store. It's like the gasoline, the bread, the milk. Uh, the right. things that you that to a certain degree you don't profit significantly on certainly it affords us a good living but then what you use is you utilize your technology your clinical skills the team training that you may have or provide uh and then you help your patients choose things that are less insurance dependent you know l- listen implants and complex dentistry to a certain degree is part of insurance but at some point it becomes less insurance dependent right so yeah, no, so exactly. it's it, it's it's helping them because all they know is 
I have insurance, and, and it's surprising how many patients think that if I don't take their insurance, I wouldn't take them as a patient. Yeah, it's, and, it's, and they feel like, well, I don't have dental insurance, I can't go anywhere because it's not like a hospital where if you go in, I mean, try going to a hospital and telling them you don't have insurance. They they look not, at, how about you try this next time you have to go to your physician's office? Try actually paying for your bill the day of treatment in cash. They don't know what to do with they, it. They, 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 I actually went to the pediatrician's office with my son. This has been a year or so ago, and I said, "Can I pay our bill?" And they're like, "Well, we'll send you it in the mail." I'm like, "No, because I don't check my mail, and then you'll send me to collections, and then I'll right. call here screaming at you. I'd like to just go ahead and pay it today." The lady looked at me like I was foreign, and I, you know, I actually am foreign, but you know, it's <laughs> it's, crazy. it's, it's they, nuts. They, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to handle it. Even though they're going to make their money in advance, they're go- probably going to collect more money because you're paying in cash. Yeah. They just don't know how to handle it. So a lot of patients are trained that way and they feel like, well, if I don't have insurance, I can't go anywhere. So I have to sit and let my, my mouth t- deteriorate. All right. So what makes your practice unique or different than the say traditional, typical everyday practice? Maybe it's just me, but I, I'm constantly reinvesting in technology, and I, I use that technology to help educate patients. So we have intraoral cameras everywhere. We have Cerec. We have cone beam. I have two milling machines. I have the latest and greatest of everything. Um, it does a couple of things for me. Number one, when a patient first walks in the door, they're greeted with an inviting staff that's excited and proud of their office, and that sends a, a message to them that this is the right place for them. If the people that work there are happy and proud of where they're at, the patients feel a little bit more comfortable. Number two, when I have to explain something to a patient, I'm a younger clinician. I'm 34 years old, so it's not like I have a lot of gray hair and experience that I can tell someone they need all this treatment and they're just going to believe me because I'm I'm older and they're going to look at that as more experience. So for me, I have to work twice as hard to educate them on why they need certain treatments. And for me, I'd rather put pictures up and, and show a 3D x-ray or, or an intraoral photo on a big screen and just sit there quietly and let them look at it. And, yeah. and to me, that's that's kind of the better way to educate them. And if I was going to someone, that's how I want to be educated. I want yeah. to see it, understand it so that I can make a decision. I made that decision early on that I need to just be quiet and use technology to, to help educate patients and get case acceptance so I don't talk myself out of it. You know, I went to school in Missouri. I call it the show me part of it yeah. where everybody I, I treat everybody like they're skeptical that they don't believe what I'm saying. So I, I want them to actually physically see what we're doing. Now, you know, I you know, I hate intraoral cameras, right? Well, that's you. Why? Uh, you want to take an SLR, but you know, yeah. not everybody. I mean. Not all my staff is comfortable getting a mirror out and taking SLR. I'm not using this for a lecturing or a presentation. I'm using it for case acceptance. And if it's, I have a nice digital camera, intraoral camera, and it takes a good picture to show them a cracked tooth or something diagnostic. Don't get me wrong. We still take six intra and extraoral photos with our SLR on our new patients. But when I want something quick and easy, I can zoom in with the camera. That's what I pull out. So we have all digital SLRs in every room. And my only perspective on that is... My my weakness that intraoral cameras have is they've showed single teeth or a couple yeah. of teeth at a time, whereas an SLR allows me to take a full arch photograph and with Absolutely. the same clarity I can still zoom into that single tooth while still having perspective. So we we found that we were getting significantly better quadrant case acceptance by using that. And yes, it is tougher to get team members to take photos with SLRs. But we spend time, and that, that's a strict requirement in our practice to take photographs. So, so like, for example, in our practice, we, we, I won't do a hygiene check without a photograph. Right. No, so, me either. Yeah, I mean, they, so. but, but to them, it's, you know, when they're doing a hygiene exam and they're looking at a couple teeth, 
they'll take an intraoral picture with the intraoral camera. But like for our new patients, for example, yeah. they get six SLR photos plus the 12 intraoral photos that we take. And, and that covers, you know, I have more pictures than x-rays on all of my Yeah, scans. same. Yeah, but, I think x-rays are almost irrelevant to a certain degree nowadays. So We take a cone beam and a couple bite yeah. wings and then a couple of anterior PAs and that's pretty yeah. much it. Talk to me about real quick your photos. So you're taking six SLR photos. Yes. What are those? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hello, podcast family. T-Bone here, bringing you our newest live patient implant training, Full Arch Express. For dentists already placing implants and ready to level up and continue building their implant practice, this is the golden ticket. We're diving deep into Full Arch Implants, the hottest game changer in implant dentistry. In this program, we tackle both overdentures and all next fixed hybrids, Mastering techniques that are essential for modern, comprehensive dental care. It's about getting your hands on the tools and techniques that will replace the doubt and fear with confidence and predictability. Here's the kicker. There's live patient training right here in North Carolina. You're not just learning theories. You're in the operatory doing real work on real patient from start to finish, guided one-on-one by our expert 3D mentors. You'll learn the nuances of each approach ensuring you can cater to a wide range of patients to maximize revenue. Speaking of revenue, with me, you know it's not just about the clinical skills. We're bringing business into this aspect too, teaching you how to integrate these advanced services profitably into your practice. So are you ready to rise up to the top in implant dentistry? Join us at the Full Arch Express. This isn't just another course, it's a career-defining leap. Head to www. 3d-dentist.com to enroll in our next session. 3D Dentist is truly committed to helping dentists take control of their practice, finances, and future. Now, back to this week's episode. So we take a, a, a full face shot, okay. a smile shot of their smile, then we do a retracted smile. So teeth retracted, anterior teeth, and mm-hmm. then we do upper and lower quad or arches. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we do a, a close-up of their smile. Okay. So lips. And that just kind of gets me talking about, you know, clear line. Big liners, picture, yeah. Okay. Yeah, big picture stuff. And, you know, and then I look at it as we still have to get the appointment completed in an efficient amount of time. So if I'm asking my hygienist to take all these records, I don't want them taking – you know, a full AACD 18 anterior pictures on every new patient. That's, that's too much. Yeah, it's, it's not. Uh, so six yeah. is a good number. It's not overwhelming. And then they complement with intraoral photos of basically every single tooth all the way across the arch. You, you said very specifically you take 12 intraoral photos. Are you yeah, talking about 12 with the, with, so, the, I, with the intraoral camera? Yeah, so let me think. We do first molar, second molar, and then both premolars together, so that's three. Mm-hmm. And then the anteriors together, that's four. Okay. And so seven, and then the same thing on the bottom, so you okay. have 14. So, so what I wanted to point out to our listeners is, th- I just want you to hear what he just said, okay? He said something very important there. He said, basically, you have a set protocol, okay? It's like, you know, your protocol, like, like if I said to my team members, oh, I need bite wings, I wouldn't even have to say I need four bite wings. Right. If I just said I need bite wings, they know exactly. It's been drilled into us and my team what bite wings are. If I said I needed a cone beam, I wouldn't have to say I need an upper arch, a lower arch, you know, whatever right. it is that they would know. So when you go to your pay, when you look at your team and you say, Hey, I need new patient photographs, 
I mean, that's all you have to say. It's a set series. You, they know that means six digital SLR photos that you pointed out and the 12 intro world photos that you just pointed out as well. So it's, it's a set series. I think that's fantastic. That's pretty smart, surprisingly smart for you. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm surprising you with my, my brilliance here. It's, that's, it's, um, it's, it's quite amazing. <laughs> So, um, are you by yourself? Do you have multiple dentists? How what is how does that work? Um, I have another general dentist and a periodontist. Okay, so let's talk. Is your general dentist a associate partner? Associate. How long has he or she been there? She's been there since May. So it took me a while to to get busy enough, obviously, for an associate. Okay. But she came on in May. And is this your first uh, go around with associates? With a GP associate, yeah. Uh, good luck. Hi. Well, <laughs> she's she's been doing no, good no. So they're, they're good people. She's good. I mean, obviously, like. You know, as an owner and a producer, no one's going to to work like I do. But you know, she's there to manage the practice when I'm not here. Okay, so let's let's talk about your periodontist real quick. So, how did you do that? That's something I've been trying to do, and I just can't seem to figure out how to do it or where to get them from. I'd say when was it? About four years ago, when you first came on board, I actually I was placing Camelog implants at that time, and I decided to take a course they were offering, and he was teaching the course. So, you know, we we're chatting afterwards and I was asking about his practice and he told me that he doesn't actually have a brick and mortar location and he's a traveling periodontist. Oh, wow. He works, okay. He works with half a dozen or a handful of practices and they keep him busy and that's what he does. I'm like, okay, um, you're going to come work for me now because this is exactly what I've been looking for. So he came on board pretty much the same time I got the cone beam and, you know, we've been growing ever since there. So that's three, in, four years ago? Yeah, about four years ago, I'd say, yeah. Okay. And how often does he come in? Typically two times a month. Sometimes okay. if it's a busier month, he'll come in a third time. But yeah, so we, we'll block a full day for him, and he'll have the whole office to himself to, to do surgery. And you pay him like an associate. I don't want to get into yeah. details, but yeah, you pay so him based on production collections. He's paid on his collections for the day. Okay. And just out, out of curiosity, do specialists command a higher percentage than GPs? Yes. Okay. And does he or she bring his own equipment? And, and so team? So it's a good question. So he uses my team. Materials, he will provide his own uh, bone grafting materials and okay. membranes just so he's comfortable. And then we split the fees on that. And The, the cost, you mean? The cost, right. So, okay. you know, he'll give me a, a materials cost at the end of the day. And I, I we split that at the percentage that he's being paid. And then I'll provide all the implants because I'll, I'll buy the implants in bulk. And then okay. he'll be charged for the implant cost. Okay, that's interesting. And it's been a good relationship? It's been great. I mean, we we have very similar treatment philosophies, and okay. you know, I place implants, but I I can cherry pick and do the ones I want to do. So if there's a complex case, like we do a lot of all on fours in the mm -hmm. office, so um, those are nice days where he comes in and, and does the surgery, and the lab does the conversion, and I sit on Facebook all day. So you know, it works out pretty well when I can have all. Day. I need you to come down to our all on four. You and him to come down to our all on four class this year. I think it'll change the way you do those. Yeah. Okay. Dramatically. Dramatically. Okay. Um, okay, so that's interesting. Why not oral surgeon, orthodontist, stuff like that? Endodontist? I'd love to have a pedodontist, to be honest with you. That okay. would be probably the next thing. Um, Do you have the room for it? I can make the room. It just depends on when they want to come in. I mean, you know, Saturdays would be a great pedo yeah. day if we can make that work. Um, we only work one Saturday a month, so I have three of them available. I just need a, a pedodontist that can grow a practice within mine. I mean, I'd say probably 15% of my practice is kids, so it's not a massive amount, mm -hmm. but... Um, enough to keep someone busy and, and, and grow it. But I'd love to have Pedo in here because I think that'll draw a lot more families into the practice. Okay. So now you said something interesting I didn't think to ask you. Talk to me about the number of days you work and all of that. How often, how often is your practice open? So we're open Monday through Friday now and then one Saturday a month. 
my associate, my, my GP, Dr. Shaw, she's here Thursdays and Fridays. And then I'm here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then one Saturday a month. So you don't have any double doctor days? We, we couldn't before because I only had four operatories, but now we just built our fifth operatory so I can add a, another doctor. So I might mm-hmm. start working Thursdays with her if there's a need, but I kind of like having those days off to do other things. How did you decide that you were ready for an associate? So it's interesting. I mean, I, I didn't really look at metrics of the practice necessarily as being the guiding force. I, I looked at my, my personal schedule as being something that needed an associate. And when I say personal schedule, this past year, I spent um, a good amount of time traveling and lecturing and doing other events for CEREC and, and Conebeam. And a lot of those required some time being away from the practice, and I didn't want to close the office. So it, it, it kind of became a necessity where I needed to have someone in there. And I, I found someone who was you know interested in adding a couple days a week and growing a practice within my own, and it just kind of worked out that way. That's good. Uh, okay. Are you guys, uh, is your intention to be a one and a half, two doctor practice? GPs, I think the size of our practice being five operatories is probably capped at two GPs. Full-time, um, like I, overlapping. Full-time, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, I could have multiple mul- part-time, but I'd really like to have just a, a, a smaller amount of full-time GPs because I think it, it's a little bit easier for patients to schedule and have consistency. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, what I'm referring to just the number of GP days, like, so you're saying eight days of GP dentistry. Yeah, I think so. Okay. In that situation, you, you know, there's a couple of three days of overlap in that scenario. Yeah. Okay. All right. Because that puts us at two hygiene and, and two hygiene chairs and three GP chairs or vice versa. Yeah. I, I need two chairs to work to, to be productive. I can't just work out of one chair. So Yeah, but we um, need to get you to that. To one chair? Yeah, for you. Yeah, maybe. No, no, not maybe. Not maybe. I'm right about this. Trust me. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we'll, we'll get there anyway. More fillings and crowns. I get it. Yeah, no, I, I but we'll get there. Yeah, yeah, we'll get there. Did you intend for your practice to get this way? What way? I call it the immigrant mentality. So you, you, you're not necessarily building a practice. You're building a business to a certain degree. Sure. Uh, and, and so you're allowing yourself to have income without you being there. Uh, so was that always the intention? I mean, my goal was always to practice dentistry because I wanted to, not because I had to. So part of that means I, I need to have people working here and managing my practice when I'm gone so I can have okay. time to you know, do things that I enjoy. You're saying managing your practice. So what does that mean to you? There's a lot of things that, that we do in the practice that require a little bit of thought. So I, I don't want somebody in here just filling teeth and doing what's on the schedule. I want somebody who is comfortable, you know, treatment planning complex cases, uh, moving patients around, scheduling them with my surgeon, scheduling them with me if necessary, and then handling the things that come up on a daily basis. You know, Mrs. Jones has sensitivity and um, needs to be seen. Can you handle her? And, and things like that. Just taking care of the practice as a whole while I'm gone, whether it's her patient or my patient or, or whatever. But, but so, okay, but I, I think there's a disconnect in what you're saying and well, what, I, what I'm hearing associates perceive sometimes that as is – what you're saying is you want somebody to manage a practice while you're gone is that's not really what you're asking for. You're saying you need to cl- somebody to clinically handle the practice while you're gone. Sure, exactly. That's so, what I mean. So when you say something like manage the practice, I think of okay, so they're they're having strategy and marketing and all of these things while you're out at while you're out. I, I mean, listen, I'm open to that, but you know, uh, that's kind of my baby. Yeah, right. I like to ha- okay. I like to be you know kind of spearheading that, but. I'd, I'd love somebody to show initiative if they yeah. want to grow the practice to help grow the, their own practice within it. But 
Um, when it comes to working on the practice, those are that's my responsibility. That's what I, I want to do and enjoy doing. No, and I, and, I, and I think that's great. I think sometimes what happens is uh, many dentists misspeak to a certain degree. They want out of the associate what the associate's not capable of or willing to do. Right. Because at the end of the day, for there's a reason somebody wants to be an employee at a practice as a dentist. That means they want, they don't want that business management portion of it. They literally want to focus on the dentistry and do the dentistry. And, and I think sometimes we, we expect, uh, like one of the things that drives me nuts is when I talk to, uh, older dentists, uh, and by older, I mean 55 plus. Okay. Or even 50 plus. And I'm 40 and you're 34. I'm 41 apparently actually now. And I, I talk to them and, and they say, well, I'm going to, I'm asking them, why do you do this technology? Go, I want to do it so my associate can do the implants and the CEREC in my practice. I'm like, and I look at them like that, that should be the absolute opposite. You've earned that right to do those things that are fun and sexy, more productive, that are higher, what I call satisfaction level procedures. Why would you just give that away to, to somebody that may or may not be in your practice for a long period of time? And that's always the challenge with any associate. I mean, I, you know, I don't want this to sound bad, but I, I wanted to hire an employee. I didn't yeah. want to hire, I would never hire myself because yeah. eventually I'm going to want to own my own practice. So, and, and I'm really lucky. She's great. She's a great clinician, you know, great with patients. And, you know, her goal is to work in a nice office. She, she doesn't necessarily want to deal with the ownership stuff. Yeah. And, you know, if yeah. I know somebody doesn't want to do that, I don't want to put that as a responsibility on them. Like, hey, you need to market get new patients to come in the door. I mean, that's that's not what she wants. Just do the dentistry when you're here. That, that's yeah. what I want. You know, and that's why I just wanted to clarify when you say manage a practice while you're out. I didn't want the listeners to misconstrue that as, hey, you have an associate that's business managing your practice while you're no. gone. They're, they're just clinically handling the patients. Yeah. Uh, I can okay. do the business stuff. That That's what's gotten me here. And that's yeah. why I like. From a procedure perspective, do you guys refer patients out? We refer endo out. That There's, that kills me. Why why do you refer endo me. out? I'll be honest with you. I hate doing endo, and she doesn't do endo. And I tried hiring an endodontist. I just didn't think I could keep them busy enough. And honestly, I, I was ready to go. I bought a microscope for them, and it just didn't work out um, scheduling wise. That is probably if I would get another specialist, I would get an endodontist and have them work here. But why why don't you just learn how to do molar endo? It's easy. I know it's not that it's not easy or doable for me. I just don't enjoy doing it. Just like you don't enjoy doing fillings and you know all that stuff, I don't enjoy doing it. Let, let let me clarify that. I don't disenjoy doing fillings. I just disenjoy getting paid one hundred and fifty dollars to do fillings. Well, so then it's the opposite for me. I can be paid a, a decent fee for root canals with our insurance plans. I just don't enjoy doing them. They're not predictable for me, I'll be honest with you. I just feel like okay. – and ever since I got the cone beam and all these new patients walk in the door and we see all these failing endos and they turn into implants, I'm like, I don't want any part of that. Yeah. And then maybe that's just me being a coward, but um, – I think that is – that's okay though. Probably. You know, I, you know but, but I, I was like that. One, I bought the Wave 1 at midwinter last year yeah. and I used it once. I get uh, that. And and what I want to challenge you to do is to be open-minded because as a CEREC owner especially, you have the opportunity to do something in a single visit – for the patient that right now is that you're sending them out and making it absolutely inconvenient for them. 
So, um, you know, maybe you're right. hundred percent. It's yeah. inconvenient. It's not, it's not the ideal situation, but yeah, so I know, even I, if you I could need... just do 50% of your endo, just the, you know, quote unquote, easy ones or easier ones, uh, you know, it would help. And, and so at the end of the day, what I, what I tell listeners, you know, look, I'm not trying to change your mind, Mina, because a, I won't be able to, and b, um, you're successful without doing it. But for those that are listening, I would say, listen, for me to do a Sarah crown, we schedule, let's say an hour and a half for that. For me to do a molar endo in a crown, I schedule two hours for that. You know, double so, your production, right? Absolutely, for an extra half an hour. Uh, so, so I look at those things, and honestly, there are days where I just want the root canal crown on my schedule because it is calm, relatively calm work. You know, it's, it's it is, it's, yeah. It's, it's just I mean, I'll be honest with you. Base. Like from a financial perspective, it's foolish of me. I mean, we refer out probably. Three or four endos a week easily. You do the math. That's that's one hundred and fifty. Should always consider bringing in a GP that likes doing endo one day a week, even. Well, and that's that's another thing I was looking yeah. at is, is how can I do that? Yeah, you you got to find a way to yeah. keep that in your practice. No, exactly. Um, you're you're absolutely right. So I was I, I was just like that. I didn't do any endo in my practice until two thousand five or six. So about five years after I started my practice, and then one day I needed a root canal, and I had Samir do it for me. Uh, so Samir Puri did my first root canal, the first root canal that I needed. And I literally said to him, I said, that's it. I mean, it was, it was a good looking endo. And I was like, Jesus, why, what am I, what am I afraid of? What am I waiting on? And I literally from that day, I, I owe my, well, I, me and Samir have an unbelievable relationship and I, and we owe each other a lot along the way. But I would say, uh, one of the greatest gifts he's given me is, is showing me that uh, I was wrong for not wanting to do endo. Our conversation was literally the one me and you just had. I said, I don't do endo. I gave him all the reasons why I don't want to do it. And he just called me stupid. And I ended up needing a root and root canal. He did it on me. And now I, I do root canals. So, uh, and, and just like with everything else, I've gotten better and better over time. You know, we make mistakes along the way, but, uh, so, okay. Sure. So that's one of the few things that you do refer out. What about impact to wisdom teeth and stuff? So my, my periodontist does partial impactions. If it's a full bony, they need sedation. Okay. Um, if he's comfortable doing it, we have anesthesia that can come and do it for us. Okay. But for the most part, we send him out. Yeah. So so on the anesthesia, if it's a one-off, it's a little bit harder to get the anesthesia going. Because yeah. It, I mean, we, we would have to plan it months in yeah, advance. It's, it's a pain in the butt. Yeah. yeah. So there's some growth opportunities there. All right. So uh, what hurdles did you face along the way and how did you overcome them? You know, what didn't I face? I mean, any any startup, I mean, I had a startup in 2010 in, in the heart of a recession. So it's yeah. not like, you know, people had all this. Yeah, you know, but you had nowhere to go but up. I had nowhere to go but up. That's <laughs> true. But I mean, I, I made a big investment in building an office that was, I didn't build a dump. I mean, it, it cost a lot of money to, to, to build it the way we wanted. And, you know, I, I started my practice September of 2010 in April of 2011. So six months later, I bought a CEREC. Um, and then two years later, I bought a cone beam. So I was constantly reinvesting and, and investing in technology. And then, you know, I looked at that debt, not as debt, but as investments, because what I was spending on that technology was making me more money. But at the time, it's scary because you're looking at what your overhead is. And it's, you know, I'm not at that golden 50 to 60 percent. I mean, it costs a lot of money to, to run my practice. Yeah. I have highly paid staff. I have a lot of, you know, high end technology. But in return, I'm, I'm able to produce a lot and, and do a lot of dentistry. Um, so, you know, the hurdle was knowing if I was busy enough to invest in this technology when, when it was happening. There were a lot of sleepless nights when it came to that. So that was a big hurdle. And then, you know, you're only as good as your weakest link. So I had to make sure that my team was as well-trained and knowledgeable as they can be. 
Because if I have one person that's not preaching our gospel to our patients, then we're losing that patient. So, you know, finding your staff was was a hard process for me, and it took a lot of time. Um, but now I'm fortunate. I have a lot of redundancy in the practice, and my payroll and overhead is probably more than it should be, but it gives me peace of mind knowing that I have four front office people that yeah. can do anything in the office. I have amazing assistants. I have hygienists that can sell dentistry to anyone. So, you know, that to me is, is worth its weight in gold if I can maintain them. This magic number of 55% overhead, it's not that it's not achievable. I, I really don't. I, I firmly believe it's achievable. But really, if you think about it, that number was around when I graduated. And it was yeah. the number that the person I worked for for nine months preached about. And he, he was ancient. So that's a number that's from the 80s and 90s at the end of the day. And we're practicing in an absolutely different time. Listen, the most expensive thing you could buy for a practice in the mid-90s was an intraoral camera for like $15,000. There was nothing more expensive than that, for God's sakes. And today, the intraoral camera is like the cheap thing you can buy for your practice. Well, exactly. Yeah, I mean, paper you know. charts, you know, you had, you had two staff yeah. members, one answered the phone, one one sucked spit. I mean, that yeah. was... It's a, it's a totally different concept today. I think to me, honestly, and I look at overhead quite differently. I I want the practice overhead to be 80% in a perfect world. And what that does, the clarification I need to make on that 80% also includes paying yourself as an associate. The business overhead should be 80%. To me, that's the golden number I'm after is I want to pay myself the 30% uh, as an associate. And then I want my business overhead to be 80%. I think that's the golden number. And I think if you can achieve 85, 86% there, you're doing pretty well. So, so I think, you know, in, in today's world, uh, too many people get fixated on this 55% overhead number that honestly, in my opinion, comes from the eighties and nineties. And if you're, if you're truly reinvesting in your practice technologically, you, you, it's really hard to hit that 55. Look, I can hit that 55% number in the next few years simply because I'll have paid everything off. My, my building will be paid off. I have no practice debt. I mean, sure, in that situation, I can do 55%, but that's but still, that's not a fair number. I got to be paying myself rent. I got to still be paying. My business has those costs. So that's why I try to use the business overhead number of 80 to 85%. Tell me this, you didn't come out of dental school or your residency doing the dentistry you're doing today. How'd you get there? How'd you get to the point where you're not just doing fillings and crowns? And how are you getting your patients in a PPO environment to say yes to more complex dentistry? And like you said, I mean, I went to a school that gave online certificates. So YouTube was my friend. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I firmly believe you can get so much education on YouTube. So my first three years out, as soon as I bought the CEREC, I was a CE junkie. So I did pretty much all of the CEREC curriculum within a year down at, at uh, CEREC Doctors and at Spear. And then I did pretty much all of the Spear curriculum as well. So I-, I Patient generated treatment planning. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that changed kind of how I looked at patients. And that's really what established the foundation of how we do our new patient exam and, you know, the patient experiences they come in and um, how I can look at full mouth instead of just single teeth. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a challenge, obviously. It's always hard to not be a single tooth dentist. Because we look at a problem, we want to fix it. But, you know, all that CE that I took, I mean, I took probably 400 hours of CE in, in the first four years out of practice or out of school. I took a ton. And, and that just helped me start thinking 
about how to view the patient as a whole. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but there's always room to grow. But it just kind of established a foundation for me in terms of how I want to treat patients. And then, you know, with time, speed gets faster and your clinical skills get better and you learn from your failures more than anything. And um, and that's kind of helped me, you know, doing a lot of volume initially helped me see things, how I can do them better and improve on them. And that's that's how we grow. Okay. That's interesting. You know, I, I think um, I find people that say, well, the, oh, I got to save money the first few years out of school. I can't afford to take CE. And I totally looked at it the opposite. It sounds like you did too. I said, those that CE I take it for the first couple of three years of my life will set the foundation for the next 30 years of my career. It, it's unbelievably important. And, I, and the other couple of things I want to clarify or ask you to clarify on maybe is you said it's hard not to be a single tooth dentist. And I would say, to me, it's hard for them to recognize when they should be a single tooth dentist and when the patient's ready to not be a single tooth dentist patient. Right. And I, and that's the clarification I would make in what you're saying there is that that's the skill. To me, that is the skill. There, there are literally thousands of dentists, Mina, that have taken the same training you have taken, but there's a handful or a few hundred that have implemented that knowledge at the level that we're implementing it. And the difference, I think, is... Those people often go to these training programs and they come back and they rigidly make their practice a facially generated treatment plan practice and not coaxing or finessing facially generated treatment planning into their practice workflow. And and that, that's the key is you got to recognize when your patients are ready for what level of dentistry they're ready for. Really? I mean, you know, there, there's the Monday morning dentist that, that you know, you take a, a weekend warrior course and you come back and you're turning everything upside down and your staff doesn't buy in and your patients aren't buying in because you're not, you know, comfortable explaining that stuff to them. And then, you know, two weeks go by and you're back to where you were. So, yeah, I mean, you can't go cold turkey on these kinds of major changes. For me, you know, being a new practice, I had the luxury of doing that because I could introduce it initially. All my patients were new patients at that point. So yeah. it wasn't like I had somebody who's been seeing me for 30 years and all of a sudden I want to redo their mouth. And they're wondering what changed. So I, I kind of had a little bit of a luxury from that perspective. So if somebody came to you and said, hey, what's doing going well for you in your practice? What would you say is the, some of the better things that, are, that have been very important to you that you've added or changed in the last few three, two, three years? You know, we have good systems. I think it, it's taken a while to develop a system in terms of if this, then that. So if a patient calls and needs X, Y, and Z, here's how we you know, position them in the schedule to, to make sure that we're functioning at optimum efficiency and the patient's being seen quickly. So, and, and that all that comes down to having a good team. Um, I'm, I'm extremely fortunate that I have pretty much the best of the best in terms of team members. And over the last couple of years, I've grown my front office team to include office managers from other dental offices who basically didn't like where they were. And through word of mouth, they came and joined me. So I have four office managers in my front office that can manage my practice. So that gives me a lot of flexibility in terms of no matter who answers the phone, I know that patient's being... So um, that means you're paying them as office managers. I am. I am. Right. And, and that's that's when I said, you know, my overhead's higher. My assistants are very highly paid. My hygienists are highly paid and my, mm -hmm. my front office people are highly paid. And, and that to me, you know, it takes money to make money. And knowing that I'm not letting patients slip through the cracks because they're being seen properly and they're being intaked properly... And then the same token, my hygienist can diagnose. So we have a very strong perio program. They can uh, you know, technically pre-diagnose. Through our questionnaire in our morning huddle. Well, legally, exactly. they can't diagnose. I just, yeah. you know, yeah. 
No, we, I mean, we have an idea when somebody's yeah. coming in and their questionnaire, they bleed when they brush, they haven't had a cleaning in six years and um, whatever. I mean, we know before they come in, they're probably going to be a perio patient. So my hygienist can start mentally preparing for that. So I hear you and many others often say we have systems in place. So when you say you have a system in place, do you literally have like a book that yes. tells people if this happens and this happens? Yes. Our office manual is detailed to the point of it's broken down by departments. So whenever we have a new hire, they're given an office manual that shows them, okay, you're a hygienist. Here are your responsibilities. Here's how we diagnose perio. Um, we have three different classes of periodontal disease. Here's how we do our new patient intake. So they can read through that and have an understanding of what's going to happen once they start working um, and seeing patients. And did you develop this yourself? Did you buy it or what? I developed it. I mean, it's taken now six and a half years to build, and it's just something that's constant. It's, it's a living document, so it's always evolving because we'll change a system to adapt to something that we've learned through time. And so we'll constantly modify it and, and adapt it. But it's it's a living document that we have on our server, and you know we're we're always adding and removing and modifying. I'll sell it to you if you want. I mean, it's up to you. You know. Yeah, I might. I might actually want to buy it. I mean, is it written in Egyptian or English? It is. It's in hieroglyphics, so you'll need. Um, you need Google Translate. <laughs> is, it. Does it? Is it on like a tablet? <laughs> what, what it's, on, it's on. It's on. Uh, yeah, what are they called? A papyrus or whatever it is. <laughs> All right. What area of your practice needs more attention? Where Where are you struggling, or where are you not meeting your own? This is a tough question for some people to understand, but what I'm saying is not what are you doing bad at, but where are areas in your practice that's not meeting your expectation? I was just thinking about this the other day because, you know, initially when I first opened, being a new practice, what, what did I have more of than anything? I had time. Yeah. So I had time to not only work in my practice, but work on my practice. So I had, you know, all these marketing ideas and promotion and I was going out in the community and promoting myself to people and, and doing business to business and all this stuff to grow my practice. And now that we're busy and we're thriving, it's and established, established. I'm, I'm kind of stuck in the rut of working in my practice and not having time to work on my practice. So that was a nice thing. When I brought my associate on, she's kind of helped take the load off of the, the clinical days. So now since I'm not working on patients on Thursdays, I can spend time catching up on the business side of the practice. But that hasn't happened to where I want it to yet. I still need to spend more time um, working on promoting the practice and growing and not being too comfortable and too complacent because that's a big challenge when you're successful is feeling like you've reached where you want to be and, and not growing because if you're not growing, you're dying. And I don't want to get to that point. So I need to just allocate more of my work time to spending on the practice and not just in the practice. I want to make, I want us to come back to that in a second where, where I give you grief, basically. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. So, uh, all right. So that's, that's good. We've talked about your practice. A lot of, we went a lot longer than I expected there. We went in many different directions. That's good. Well, who is Mina outside of the dental practice? You've developed yourself. Uh, into a trainer speaker, and you're doing very well at that. So talk talk to us about that. How'd you get into that? Why did you get into that? What compelled you to focus on that? So it's a, it's a good question. I mean, you know, look at I mean, me. Everything I ask is a good question. Well, look, this is a better question. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, let's look back six years ago. In April, it'll be six years that I've had Sarek. And it was, I was sitting, I was in Chicago, me being stupid and not realizing that Patterson could have flown me out somewhere fun to try out the Sarek. I just, we didn't have that back then. We may not have had it back we then. We didn't. It was, a, it was a discovery event. I remember um, specifically, I was sitting in an auditorium in Chicago. I was at a hotel somewhere. Um, oh, I was probably at that one. 
You were probably at that one. I know yeah. Scrammy was at that one, and uh, Imtiaz was there. Yeah, so um, I was there I'm, then, yeah. I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm listening to the presentation. I kind of knew what I, I needed to know about Sarek. And, what you, you know, thought I, you I had, needed to know, yeah. I mean, I was scared. I, I was I was nervous about the investment. I was nervous about the money. You know, during the intermission, I met with Imtiaz outside, just in the hallway, just in passing, and I'm, like, asking him some specific questions. And he looked at me. He asked me some follow-up questions about my practice, and he told me, you know, this isn't a financial decision for you. This is uh, an emotional decision. Is this the way you want to practice for the rest of your career? And I knew the answer to that. The answer was always yes. So that really helped me. Get Can you repeat that for me? And I love MTOs yeah. for, for the most part, but I, I really do. I respect. No, no. And I mean that yeah. very. Listen, I look. I, I very much respect the guy. Okay, and I I think there's sometimes things like that he says that drive me nuts, but they're actually absolutely correct. He said to you, "This is not a financial decision, but an emotional decision." Right. And to me, that's brilliant. Well, look at it. You know, the, the questions I was showing him, I'm like, here are my lab bills. Here's what I'm doing in ceramics every month. Here's the last, I mean, I had six months of data. So it's not like I had years under my belt, but I'm like, here are my last three months. I mean, this is how busy we are. Um, this is what I think the payment's going to be. And and looking at it back, you know, now, back then, I'm like, why was I even thinking about this? It was a no-brainer. Well, because it was an emotional decision. It wasn't it was the, emotional. The financially, it was a no-brainer. Right. But it's it's like, okay, do I want to bring this on board? And then, you know, how am I going to change my scheduling? I mean, there's all these questions that I had. And then, you know, he at least took the financial burden and fear away by reassuring me that it's going to be okay. And this is coming from someone who I looked up as, you know, a very successful businessman, yeah. somebody who's made a huge influence in my career and my practice, you know, early on. And and even now, I mean, there's there's things that I've learned down, you know, at Spear that that have changed the way I'm going to practice forever. So I took that opportunity, and I was very. It kind of gave me a little bit of peace hearing him tell me that it's not a financial. I love that. Thing I need to worry about. So, I love that line. It's not a. It's past being a financial decision for you. Now it's an emotional decision. Right. Do you want to practice this way for the rest of your life? And what he ended up doing is we went back, and there were probably two or three hundred people in that auditorium. He made me stand up in front of everyone and tell them what I just did, that I'm in a practice of six months, startup practice, not even a year out of residency, and I just spent, you know, six figures on a on a, a CIRIC. And, you know, me standing up in front of a group of 200 people, I was terrified. I mean, I, I'm not someone who, you know, at that point was comfortable speaking in front of groups and public speaking was like, a, you know, fear for me. Like, I'd rather crawl up in a ball and die. So that was, uh, you know, a stressful part. And, you know, he made me stand up. And I still remember that time. And I know Scrammy, Scrammy remembers that. It was his birthday, I think. It was on April. So, um, and you were probably there, but you were sleeping most likely. More than likely. Or I might have been doing the cone beam event by that time. Oh, you're doing the cone beam yeah. event. Um, but yeah, so that was kind of a seminal moment for me, having that. And then obviously it's not just buying Sarek, it's investing in education and learning how to use it. And, you know, Rich will tell you to this day, I drove up to Milwaukee to take basic training with Rich Rosenblatt because, you know, they told me he's the best trainer. I mean, um, your your hairline receding hairline is taller than him. Exactly, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I drove to Milwaukee to take basic training with Rich, and I was probably the worst student he's ever had to the point where – and you know as a speaker, like you get into your cadence, you get into your rhythm, yeah. and you you want to just get through your content. I'm the one constantly, what about this? What about that? How do we do this? And I'm just going off on tangents, and he could never get into a rhythm. I'm like uh, – you know, thinking back at him, I'm surprised he didn't just kick me out of the room. No, Rich is too nice. He's too nice, yeah. So, yeah. And, and I was a little bit taller than him, so I think he was afraid of me. But um, and you're brown. He thought you might blow him I'm up. Brown. You, yeah. you don't want to mess with us, man. Yeah. You don't know. So, so how'd you get into the speaking thing? When did that start? 
So after I took all the training, I mastered the technology first. I, I started getting involved in just local events with our study mm-hmm. club. And if you know, Rich has the one of the biggest the, yeah. surf study club in the country. So there was a lot of opportunity here to kind of, you know, lecture and, and educate our local community. So I started off with, you know, simple hands-on stuff as a, as a seat trainer where um, somebody would buy the Sarek and I would go, yeah, to their office go into the office. Their, okay. Yeah. So, and that, that got me kind of more comfortable on one-on-one basis and then did some study clubs and, um, did a couple of things for Ivaclar here at study clubs and they were happy with how I presented things. And like I said, I'm a computer nerd. So for me, putting a, putting a keynote together is exciting and I like, and you, you know, have a good personality and all of that. So, so it, it just started off like local stuff and then, you know, getting involved with, you know, Patterson and accept programs and, and that kind of thing. I, I felt like it was important for me to give back to um, new users and help them have that feeling of it's going to be okay. It's not a financial decision. It's an emotional decision. I want it to be that for someone else. Yeah. Just like, you know, MTL that's good. That. So you didn't necessarily come out of dental school or residency saying this is something you wanted to do, the speaking and training. I never thought I could do it, to be honest with you. Okay. I just didn't think I was built for it, that I would be good enough at doing that. I'm, I'm not saying I am good enough to do it, but it's something no, you I are. Enjoy you should now, say so. that you are good enough to do it because you're better than most. So, and, and obviously when people, when you can grow that part of your business or you, that part of your career that tells you that you're doing something well. Okay. So, no, yeah, so, and, don't, and so don't put yourself down in that. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to pull myself down, but you know, it's, you're trying to you be know, too yeah. humble. Yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> so how much time do you want to, how do you, how do you balance that? I mean, how much time do you want to spend doing that? I mean, last year was a busy year and, and, you know, I just, I was at a point where I just wanted to do everything I could. So any event, any opportunity so you I said had, yes I always to said everything. Yes. Yeah. I said yes to everything. Yeah. And I said yes to everything. That's how you build a business last year. Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a business within my business. Yeah. Um, I spent a lot of time traveling and, um, you know, this year, you know, hopefully I'm fortunate enough to have a lot more opportunities as well, but, um, I want to do things that are, you know, a little bit more catered to what I like doing and not yeah. just saying yes to something just because yeah. it's an option. So, yeah. So, so your trajectory is literally exactly what I did. I, I literally at the beginning got paid hardly anything uh, when I was doing the stuff. I literally said yes to everything because yeah. I, I had the fear of missing out. I didn't want to say no because I felt if I said no to this, they'll never call me again and, right. and, and right. all of those things. So, uh and now, you know, I, I'm doing this, whether in the office or on the road, you know, 40 weekends a year. Uh, so now I'm trying to cut back. Yeah. Now, now I'm trying to do a little bit less, but I'm trying to make them more meaningful events for me. So for me now, it's about how many people can I touch? Not literally, but how many people can I influence or how many people can I make a difference for? And, and that's good. So just, you know, my, my advice to you as, as I, when you were down here for our sleep training program was, uh, keep very clear about what your goals are and what you want to do and, and value yourself. Uh, I think, uh, you've reached that point where you can begin to value yourself and to a certain degree pick and choose what you want to do. And there are times where you're going to make decisions emotionally, not financially. Uh, even to this right. day, there are things I want to do and I'm willing to do them for free or at a loss even sometimes because they're important for me to do. So that's good. So you're going to um, focus a little bit more on that and go there. That's good. All right. So um, we're getting towards the end here. So now I have the section called Your Turn. So are there anything <laughs> are there anything that you want to ask me or anything that's on your, on your mind there that uh, I can help you with? I'll throw it back at you. I mean, you asked me, you know, what could I do better? What could I work on in my practice? I mean, you have a, a model practice that a lot of us, you know, have been to and, and, and feel like it's it's kind of a a goal for us to achieve that type of practice. Tell me about your practice and what you feel like you could do better. 
Well, I think the biggest thing I lack right now is a true system. What built my practice or what allowed me to really get to that level was when we were four or five people. When we were four or five people, I was able to be very hands-on and direct with each individual person. And we didn't need a manual and we didn't need all of these. So we had systems, but they were directed through me. Right. And then as soon as we hit like the seventh, seventh team member, uh, things just got wacko. And so that's, that's the biggest challenge that we're facing now is really we have great people and we, for the most part, we have the right people, but there's no true systemization in my practice right now. Uh, there's too much overlap. There's too many people doing some of the same things. Uh, so I, I would say that if anything, I've toyed with the idea of tearing things down a little bit and going mm. backwards in my practice. I won't go backwards financially. I'm, I'm smart enough to know how not to do that. Um, but I would go backwards in terms of the size of my practice and the size of people there. And emotionally, that's a very difficult decision for me. I confide in my wife as a psychiatrist, I guess, and my, my, my team members that I call rocks. I say, you know, I would feel like a failure if I shrunk my practice because it's moving backwards in a way. Financially, it's not moving backwards. And many people would say, God, I would love to be able to do that. But yeah. for me, it's it's moving backwards because it's making the practice more dependent on me being there. So that, that that's that what I would say is the biggest challenge. The other challenge for me is is I've got to figure out a way to cultivate and, and really bring in a long-term associate. I, I'm making some mistakes there. I don't know if I'm choosing the wrong people, if I'm not being crystal clear with them, if I'm being too too loose with them. In other words, letting them do things that I really don't want them to do or letting them do things that they sh probably shouldn't be doing or not giving them enough direction because I don't like to dictate to people what they should do or shouldn't do. Uh, so I, I would say those are the two areas that I'm challenging myself with to get better at. And the beauty of that is none of those things require money. Uh, none of those things require going in the hole. It's just a matter of being a little bit more focused for me to get there. When you say you have associates that, that aren't working out, is, is it because they're leaving to do other things or they want to have ownership in the practice and that's not an option? I guess what's what's kind of the common thread? I, I would say that I'm not easy to work with, Mina. And, and but listen, I, I tell myself I'm easy <laughs> easy to work with, but uh, I, I'm not. And he, I would say my, my challenge is, is I take people at their word. So if you, if you came to work for me, Mina, for example, and you said, hey, I know what I'm doing, I would be like, okay, the guy knows what he's doing. And I would assume that if you didn't know what you're doing, if you're uncomfortable in a situation, that you would come to me with that. And, and I think the other challenge for me is there's a massive work ethic generational gap between me and uh, people of today. You're hiring millennials. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, you're hiring people out of school or, you know, a few years out of school. What I see is I lived like a college student for three or four years out of dental school. And I spent every penny I had going to education. Education that, quite honestly, most people don't think they can afford. Uh, yeah. But I, I knew that it was important. And I spent every amount of time I had becoming what I call a professional. And that meant learning through online venues, learning through bothering people. You know, I would go to courses and I wouldn't be there from eight to five. I would show up early, help them set up, whether they asked me to or not. I would stay late and help them clean up. I would understand what's going on. I would try to learn from people outside of the practice. I would, you know, I would go places. I mean, there was one class I went to where I purposely 
told people I didn't have a bedroom to sleep in just so I could share a room with somebody because I just wanted to talk shop with them. You are an odd bird. That's that's pretty weird. But you know, but but that's I, I just wanted it so badly, and I I I was very clear in what I wanted. I wanted success and I didn't know how to define. Luckily, I didn't know how to define success at that point. I just know that I wanted something different than what I was doing today, what I was doing at that time. So I I would say that's been a big gap for me is not seeing people that just don't spend every penny on education. They can give me all the excuses of debt and all this BS, but I would say I had debt too. I mean, I mean, not as much as they did, but I certainly made half what many of these people are making now coming out of school. And so uh, that's been just a big challenge for me. And yeah. and I think the other challenge along that line is my team has come to expect people to be like me, to talk to patients the same way. To They don't expect people to be clinically where I'm at necessarily, okay? But they expect them to treat them that way, to be direct. I'm very direct with people for the most part, saying, hey, this is what I want, um, or this is what I need, or this is what the practice needs, what can I do? And I, I would say that's been some of our challenges. So, so there's a constant comparison going on between the associates and you that your staff is doing. I guess, I mean, I guess, I guess yeah. yes. I mean, I, I don't want to say, but I, I think my team is smart enough to know that you know, somebody one or two years or three years out of school is not going to clinically be as good as I am. Maybe they'll be better in certain things, but I think they suffer from the same disease I suffer from in that they want to see constant evolve. They want to see somebody who walks in, let's call them dumb. Okay. And six months later, they're six months less dumb. Right. Okay. And one year later, they're one year less dumb or less trained or whatever the word, you know, I'm being somewhat uh, animated in my terminology. And yeah, they want to see growth. They want to see evolution. I get it. Yeah. I mean, just like they've seen in me and just like they continue to see in me today, you know, I'm a different dentist today and a different person than I was a year ago. I would probably say I'm, I'm a better dentist today, but a less better boss today than I was maybe a year ago. Got an associate now coming up on a year. I just want to make sure I'm setting her up for success. Yeah. Um, so that we're not having to kind of reboot. So here's what I, I, I did what you did with one of my associates where we never overlapped. And it was a mistake for me. Uh, so I would caution you to try to have some overlap time. Even better would be for you to come in and not see patients. So that's, that's Thursdays for me. That's yeah. So, so you, you can get the more Thursdays you can get in because my first associate was there went Thursday, Friday. I was there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I'd literally left. Thursday morning. So I literally never saw my the work. I never mentored. I never spent time with them. Yeah. We communicated totally by text and email or through team members. And that wasn't a good recipe for us. Uh, so so I've learned along the way. And uh, so you know that's kind of there. So I got a couple of questions for you again. What are your, some of your short-term and long-term goals? Where, where do you want to be a year or two from now? Obviously, I, I want to keep the practice evolving and growing You know, as it is right now. But I mean, what does that mean? This is where I'm going to be tough a little bit because okay. I, I I think we all have goals that we never write them down. We're never very specific with them. We we have financial goals just like everybody does for the okay. practice, and and that's are you of, pretty are you pretty specific with those? Yes. Okay. And and you know the way we we bonus and the way we incentivize our team members it's it's financially driven. You know if the practice does well, everybody should do well. So, so but uh, do you have a, a a written goal for what you want to do next year, 2017? Yes. yes. Okay. Do you have a written written goal for what you want to do yourself, what you want to do for yourself for next year? So, and that's where, you know, why I'm I'm hesitating is because, you know, there's two parts to my career right now. Mm -hmm. There's 
right now where I'm sitting in my practice doing dentistry. And then there's this other part where I'm traveling and, and helping other dentists kind of accept technology and, and grow the way I've grown. So that second part is what I haven't really established written goals for because I, I don't know what to make a goal of. Like I can't say, well, I want to travel, you know, 30 weekends next year because that may not be what I want. Maybe I want to do less weekends, but bigger groups of people. So that's something. Well, you got to write it down. I mean, at the end of the day, you got to work backwards on that, Mina. And, you know, I know we talked about this a little bit when you were here, but you know, ultimately you have to look at, there has to be a value to it. I, I assume you're past the point of where you're willing to do it for free. Yes. So there has to be a number in your head. And I'm not asking you to share that, but you've got to write that down. And there's got to be a minimum and maximum. So in other words, you've got to say that I will count it as a successful year if I get invited to do 10 events or 15 events or 20 events. Like that's my minimum goal. And then you've got to set a maximum. You got to say, under no circumstance am I willing to go out more than 30 times. times. Okay, yeah. whatever the number is, right? Okay, and then you got to say, I must make X dollars to justify being gone from my practice because there's a toll on your practice when you do this. And Absolutely. maybe you're young enough or you're smarter than me in many ways that you figured out how not to make the toll, but there is a toll on your practice. When you do this and it stunts your practice growth to a certain degree. And so you have to say to yourself, I got to make at least this much to make this worthwhile. That much needs to be what your ideal scenario is, not your max number, but honestly your minimum number. So you got to yeah. say, for example, I will consider successful. I'm going to make up numbers. Okay. If I get invited to do 15 events and I need to make X dollars from these 15 events. And then you got to, you got to figure out a way to say yes or no to those things based on that. You, you've got to have, and not trying to get political here, but you got to have a proverbial line in the sand. And you yeah. can't be like our past administration where they let people go through that line in the sand. And you've got to have that line in the sand. And, uh, that, that'll be your biggest challenge. I'm just telling you from personal experience, that'll be your biggest challenge. And then right. just like in your practice, so when you do speaking and training events, if you're getting paid a set fee, you've become an insurance person in a sense. You've become a PPO provider when it comes to lecturing and stuff. So now you're, you're set. You can only do so many crowns and fillings in your practice. Yeah. So at some point you reach a ceiling and how much you can generate revenue wise by doing crowns and fillings. The only solution is literally to do more crowns and fillings. So at some point, you're going to get to a point where the only way for you to make more money is to literally do more events, which is just more of a time suck. So you've got to find that sleep apnea appliance of speaking. Okay, you've got to find that implant of speaking to where you have your fillings and crowns of speaking, and but then you have those events or you create those events. You've got to create something that allows you to make 2x or 3x. So that yeah. way you can, you can see growth in the future. You can't have, in my opinion, you can't have your growth be just on more days out of the practice or more days out of, out of life. Uh, yeah. that's no good. And because you, well, that, you do hit a ceiling. Not, that's not a lifestyle I want either. I mean, it's, you know, I don't want to be gone. It's a, li um, it's not a lifestyle day. you can sustain if you want to be a family person. Right. So I, I didn't mean to take over on that. So no, I mean, it's, it's, you know, you, you put it in very simple terms, number of events per year. And financially, so I, I need to sit down and, and set, you know, goals with that. And you're 
So, yeah. you know, I, I, I look at it as just like a practice. I mean, it's no different. A practice is a business and you're speaking things are a business. Okay. So you have to look at it and say, I, I got to grow and I've got to put, produce this much. And you got to, just like you looked at your practice and you said, I need to do CEREC because it makes something fun. I mean, so my question to you is, there's a cost of opportunity. So when you spend so much energy being gone, you're not working on your professional career. You're only right. working in your professional career. So you've got to develop. You've got to learn new sets of skills. And then the next question is, is if you're spending so much of your time out speaking and doing those things, you're not learning not something new yourself to generate that buzz or that, that skill set within yourself or that future. For example, you know, just three or four years ago, I wasn't doing hardly any sleep appliances. And now we're doing north of 80 or 90 last year. Right. And that comes from having, you know, taking that blocking that time off. Like there's got to be sacred weekends for you. you you've got to pre block. You I mean someone in your position, my position, I have to pre plan out my 2017 CE calendar, my personal calendar of those things yep. that I want to take. Because if I don't, it'll be like that rut I got into in 2013, 14, 15, where I just never took any CE or enough CE because I was too busy filling the weekends with all this other stuff. Right. So, or you felt like you didn't need it. Never which needed. is even worse. That's like the worst position. That's where you get stagnant. You get old. You get stale. Uh, I'm, I'm always conscious of that. I want to make sure I never hit that, that rut because yeah. that's, that's a bad place to be. So you got to look at that. So – uh all right. Let me think. Anything else? I mean, we've been on. You got any other questions for me? No, I mean, I, you've been very insightful for me in terms of, I mean, it, it's nice that we, we kind of know each other. So we're able yeah. to, and we've you know, only met like once or twice, for God's sakes. Yeah, but we, yeah. we have that we have that genetic bond. Yeah, we're brown. Like we I mean, other, yeah. you walk so like an Egyptian. I mean, I, I fly <laughs> on magic carpets and whatever. Yeah, so we, we meet in the middle. You got yeah. So that's good. How are you doing with the sleep stuff? Doing well. I mean, we're, you know, like I said, we're trying to evolve it. We, we've done a handful of uh, HST. Did you buy the machine? I had the machine, yep. Yeah. Are you sending them out? We sent them out, the ones that we did, and then we just haven't had anybody that had a high enough. Just give them NHI. out to patients. What's that? Just give the home sleep test to people. We are. Yeah, just, just send it out every day. Yeah. I mean, we just, we, again, that that's one of those things where we just need a system and with the you construction need to, in the office. You need, you need to take a day. You need to take a half day off your practice and construct a workflow for that. We and, with and internally in your practice. Way, I, yeah. I'm just I'm working through every team member to have them go through the HST <clears throat> themselves so they know yeah. how to explain it. Um, it's just I, I need to designate the time for it. We've just had a lot of moving parts the last month yeah. with. Uh, I mean, we with we did listen. We did. I, I'm not trying to brag or anything. We did nearly 30 appliances last month in December. It's yeah. absolutely nuts. And and there's nothing special about what we're doing. You have the same mindset I do. We're business-minded. So when I see somebody that I think could benefit from a sleep test, I just give them the sleep test. Right. I eat the $7 or whatever it is. Just the give them the sleep test. I, I give yeah, away just give them, scans for free. Yeah, it's, it's no test. different. It's no different. And that's the mindset that I need you to have on that. And remember, I haven't heard back from you on, on follow-ups from that class so or your team members. So I want to make sure that you're, you're engaging with that so that you can be successful. I'm, I'm telling you, I think sleep apnea is bigger than implant dentistry. And you would say implants has done wonders for your practice? Yep. Okay. What I'm telling you, sleep, sleep will, sleep will double that. 
We and we know it, and I, I've looked at it as over the next year. I mean, we're not going to do many appliances in the beginning of the year because of deductibles and, and sure. health and medical insurance. So, but not everybody's you know, January to December. Some people yeah, are exactly, July to July. So it, it gives us time to develop our system so yeah. that we can, you know, line up our patients so that they're ready to receive yeah. the appliance <clears throat> next December. Yeah, and you got to put them in the pipeline. The more people you put in in January, the better. So, you right. know, our thing is, my thing now is to build your pipeline and uh, do some of those things. So, Hutan texted me last night, how are you doing on sleep? So, yeah. it's, it's definitely. Well, he see, he saw my numbers from last month because he's coaching us on our medical billing stuff is still. Yeah. So, he sees what we did there. And so, he's got a good grasp of that. All right. So, just kind of uh, in summary here, we talked with Mina Barsoom today. Your email address is Mina, M E E N A dot Barsoom, B A R S O U M at gmail.com it's not Myrna it's yeah. not Myrna it's Barstool not, yeah. not Barstool it's Mina Barsoom at com. you're on Facebook as well you're a Sarek Doctor Mentor so you can find you on the Sarek Doctor site Sarek Trainer Speaker and Conebeam Trainer and Speaker I hope to be having Mina back at our place in Raleigh a little bit more often next year to help us out and do some other stuff with us. I, I would say for me personally, uh, the most insightful thing that we talked about was uh, uh, what MTR said to you was, um, this is not a financial decision, but an emotional decision. And really that goes back to my point that I have with everyone is that I think ultimately we're after one of three things and we go through these stages in our life and, and it goes, it revolves is we're after either more money because we need more money for whatever we need, need more time because we have enough money or we make enough money and we just need more time in our life or we need more satisfaction. And ultimately we're all after all three at one time to a certain degree. But that statement to a certain degree sums it up. You were past the financial point in that life. You were real. That was really more of a question of satisfaction. You know, right. how satisfied do you want to be with your practice? And that, and then, you know, you brought up the, if you're not growing, you're dying, which is, you know, what my dad says to me. If you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. And, uh, you know, I'm sure he stole that from somebody else, Confucius, <laughs> Confucius, somebody. Uh, you know, those are the things. So, you know, grow your practice. You know, look at, I, I believe every dental practice should strive to get an associate. The other thing I think people can take from this is being an insurance dentist doesn't mean that you do fillings and crowns and do bad dentistry. I think it means that you can do lots of different things. So um, thank you, Mina. Uh, thank, thank you for you taking too. time from your practice. And uh, I look forward to uh, uh, seeing you soon. Thank you, Tarun. Appreciate the opportunity. Thanks so much for listening to T-Bone Speaks with Dr. Tarun Agarwal. Remember to keep striving for excellence and we'll catch you on the next episode. Hey, podcast family, T-Bone here. Are you a dentist looking to elevate your practice and profits? Then pay close attention. Introducing the 3D Business Mastermind the dental business coaching program designed for dentists who want to see real results. I've walked the path of practice ownership for nearly 25 years. I know your challenges. I felt your pain. This is your opportunity to overcome the chaos, the busyness, and the financial frustrations of owning a dental practice. Imagine a dental practice where your appointment book is highly productive, doing the dentistry you enjoy, your team is self-motivated, and your profits keep climbing. That's what the 3D Business Mastermind is all about. In this exclusive mastermind, you'll join a league of ambitious dentists driven to elevate their practices. You'll gain access to proven strategies, personalized coaching, and a community that understands your journey. 
So if you're ready to supercharge your dental practice and enjoy the success you deserve, visit www.3d-dentist.com and take the first step towards a brighter future in dentistry by filling out the 3D Business Mastermind application. Now, let's get to this week's episode. 